sermon series is called, Who Do You Think You Are? I'm looking at the idea of, of our own view of ourselves. How do we think about who we are as people? How do we think about who we are as Christians? Because if you see yourself as a character in a certain kind of story, or even a certain kind of character in a certain kind of story, that says a lot about the decisions you make about who you are. So today I want to continue to talk about who we are. I, I spent a lot of time last week talking about what it means to be in Christ. Today I want to talk about that a little bit more, but, but especially expand that in Ephesians chapter 2 to talk about what it means for us in our relationships that we think about ourselves as being in Christ. And so I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Probably will want to turn there because I'm going to read it, but then I'm going to preach straight through it. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the temple in the Lord, into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When we think about our identities, one of the things that I think is just a truth that happens for people is that most of our identities aren't just based on what we're for, but very often who we are and what we stand for relates especially to what we are against. There's a certain strength in being against something, a certain excitement. I can get up here and give you a, a rousing speech about something that we might all be for, but it's much easier to get people excited about being against something. To have that emotion, it just gets people riled up. I think this is how it is. I think when we idealize something, inevitably it's a lot easier for us to then demonize something else. I mean, doesn't this make sense to us? Think about sports rivalries. It's not enough that I like a certain team, but if I'm going to like a certain team, I also need to hate other teams. Why? Because it enforces the like that I have for the one team. It's not enough to root for the Penguins. 
I also really need to hate the Flyers. This is why rivalries happen. This is why a lot of people are really upset about what college, what's going on in college sports and college football today because we're messing with these rivalries. But I tell you what's going to happen. In a few years, there's going to be new rivalries based on the new divisions in these sports because there has to be. Because part of getting excited about something is also getting excited against something else. It's just not kind of how we work. Okay, if you think about things in our lives, we tend to get our strength, get our focus based on the boundaries, the fences that we have in our lives. So think about how this works in all kinds of areas. If I'm conservative, I'm not just conservative. In our current political system, I have to be very anti-liberal. If I'm liberal, I'm very anti-conservative. I mean, think about how politicians play this up. They don't just talk about who they are. They talk a whole lot about who they're competing against and how you shouldn't like that person. Why? It's a lot easier to get somebody to not like something than to be for something. Um, and I don't know whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, but I, I know that most people I talk to who are really pro-choice or are really pro-life aren't really those things. They're not really pro-life or pro-choice. They're really anti-whatever the other cause is. Because that's the extreme that we get to. We, we, we tend to base things around our boundaries. The walls, the fences that we set up. I mean, that's how our politics are. That's how churches tend to be. I mean, ever since the Protestant Reformation, there's been this line between Catholic Church and Protestant Church. And it's been more about the line than the actual differences very often. The problem is that Christianity in itself is not very boundary-oriented. This is part of the problem in the New Testament, and it's part of what makes Christianity sometimes kind of hard to live. Because Christianity is not boundary-set, it's center-set. It's based on Jesus. Okay, Think about it this way. Instead of defining your property based on your fence and what's outside your fence, Christianity is based on what's at the center. It's based on... Stay close to the house. Stay close to Jesus. That's the center. And the lines tend to not be as important. Not that there aren't lines. Not that there aren't boundaries. Not that there aren't things as Christians we we stand against and we don't believe in. I mean, there are definitely those things, but they're not the center. Those things are in response to what the center actually is, which I think is Jesus. Again, this makes Christianity sometimes difficult to understand. So you know what a lot of people do? They make Christianity be about those lines again. They make Christianity be about the boundaries. You are a Christian if you believe these things. Bam, there's the fence. You are a Christian if you are against these things. And you can see different churches and different denominations define those lines all kinds of different ways. It's the same kind of discussions that they had in the early church, particularly as the Gentiles start coming to faith. Because for the Jews, there, were, there was so much of their identity wrapped up in their Jewishness that they didn't, they, they didn't have a good understanding of how to bring the Gentiles in on this new Christian thing. The Gentiles would bring up all kinds of discussions about who or what you could sleep with and how or how, why you would go into a temple worship site. And the Jews would be like, what are you talking about? You don't do that stuff. That's not what we do. 
They couldn't understand. And they, they would say, well, why don't you just become Jewish? But Paul stands in opposition to that to say, no, it's not just about becoming Jewish. It's about a center. It's not about the boundaries. So, so let's see in this text how this unfolds. Let's unpack God's word for us that come through the inspiration of the Apostle Paul. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which was made flesh by hands. Remember that you were separated at the time from Christ. So the the Jewish identity was based on this idea that they were set apart, that they were holy. And the major symbolism for that was circumcision. Now, we don't think about that much at all, let alone in this kind of identifying fashion. But if you think about it, if you have certain identities, you tend to physically represent those identities, right? I mean, it's not circumcision for us anymore. But if you follow a certain team, you tend to wear stuff for that team. Around election time, if you're conservative or liberal, you start wearing buttons and stickers and you start putting stuff out on your lawn. The kind of person you are, the class that you are in society, we can tell a lot about that from the way you dress, right? Physical representation has a lot to do with the identity. We dress to be the person that we at least want everyone to perceive that we are. And so back in in these days, the Jews would call themselves the circumcised and they'd call everybody else the uncircumcised. That was the line. That was the basic understanding because it represented physically what they saw was the dividing line. So, the line went just beyond circumcision. I mean, you got to understand the challenges, the hatred that sometimes Jews had for Gentiles. We, we don't get this from the Bible, but from other sources, we know that it, it was taught that if a Jew married a Gentile, the family and the community would hold a funeral for the Jew who married a Gentile. They would actually hold a funeral service and and the whole community would represent in the service that that Jew is now dead to them because they married a Gentile. Um, If a Jew saw a woman giving birth, a Gentile woman to a Gentile child, they were ordered not to help that woman because helping that woman would mean bringing another of the uncircumcised into the world. All the stories of the Bible were used to justify this logic. The terrible things that were done among the nations. Never mind the idea that Abraham was called to be a blessing to all the nations. There were warnings on the temple walls. The temple walls, where there's all these rules about, you know, not killing people. We have records of signs on the temple walls where if a Gentile entered the area of the temple where they weren't allowed to go, that they would be responsible for the death that would ensue. So that if the Jews killed a Gentile who was in the wrong place, they wouldn't be responsible for the death. That was a sign on the temple. I've never seen a sign like that on a church today. But there have been times when we've had those sort of signs and understandings around our churches. Then the problem is Gentiles don't think like Jews. There's this major conflict that Paul seems to be at the center at and seems to be addressing. So when he writes to these Gentiles... Man, they understand this because they've been alienated. They're not allowed to go in the Jewish temples. They're not allowed to relate to the Jews a lot. I mean, for them, this idea of being alien to God, 
to being outcasts from the commonwealth of God's purpose. I mean, that's where the Gentiles lived. They understood that. They didn't even have a hope, it says. Strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no way that they were even looking for a Messiah to come. Totally outside the covenant, totally outside of God's worth, uh, work in this world. And yet Jesus comes and dies for them. Therefore reconciling them to God and therefore making problems for this understanding of Jewish identity and, and Gentile identity. It threatens the Jewish understanding because their teams, their lines, their boundaries no longer make sense. I love this line from verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's Paul saying to these Ephesians? Those lines, they're done. They're over. The idea of of there being all these lines and all these boundaries of who is in and who is out. Well, the way you guys had contrived of that, the way the Jews have contrived of that, are over. Dividing wall of hostility. Isn't that an amazing understanding? Dividing wall of hostility. How many of, how many of us in our lives have seen those things? Um, we stand here today just a couple weeks after the anniversary of Dr. King's famous I Have a Dream speech. Amazing speech because at the time a lot of people were very much boundary oriented in their speeches about civil rights. This is wrong. We've got to deal with this. And here comes Dr. King saying, I have a dream, a dream of a world that's different, breaking down these dividing walls of hostility. I mean, creating in himself from verse 15, that he might, talking about Jesus, might create in himself one man in place of the two, so making peace. So where there was Jew and Gentile before, there isn't any longer, because in Christ we've got one. We now all have the same spirit. All have access to the Father. Why? Because we're reconciled to God. And if I'm reconciled to God, that must mean that I have to be reconciled to you too. How does Paul describe this? We are no longer strangers or aliens. We're not foreigners. We are fellow citizens and saints. All of a sudden, we're all saints. Jews are saints Gentiles are saints. All those lines that we had are not there anymore. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Paul takes this idea of a dividing wall of hostility and says, no, 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 no. We're not making walls anymore. We're building something else here. And he takes the building metaphor and goes in a totally different direction with it. Cornerstone, you've got to understand culturally, you know, we have cornerstones today, and our cornerstone up here says the date this building was put up. But in those days, a lot harder to build, a lot more difficult to build buildings that would last. So major buildings, often the key piece was a cornerstone. What you would do is lay a foundation of very, very large stones that you could then build on top. And if the foundation was right, the rest of the building would be sturdy. The problem with stones is they're not all straight. And so the most important stone in any building was the cornerstone. You had to get the cornerstone just right because off of the cornerstone, if you had this cornerstone right, then all your walls would start being straight. And so, so 
if you were a contractor, you were a builder in those days, you did all your work to get the cornerstone right. Okay? The same thing today when you go to build, you gotta start with square. You gotta start with a straight line. If you try to if you ever try to fix something that's not already straight, it's just a pain. Okay? When they build buildings with cornerstones, it had to be straight. And so what's the metaphor for Paul? Jesus is the cornerstone. That's the center. That's what all the rest of our lives get built on. Then we've got the prophets and the apostles that are sort of the base on top of that. And then once we get the base, then Paul says, then we're all part of the building. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? You're a brick, and you're a brick, and you're a brick, and you're a brick. You're a brick at something really important. That Christ has to be the cornerstone, though. But that if Christ is the cornerstone, then I, I have to give up the right to claim what bricks can fit in this wall and not fit in this wall. We are being built together, not a wall of hostility, but a wall of unity with Christ as our cornerstone. Now, we may divide our lines differently today. Uh, we don't talk about Jews and Gentiles anymore. But we have our lines. Who are the people that you would not want to have over to your house to dinner? Who are the people in your world that you would not want to invite to church because you, you don't think they'd fit in here? You really wouldn't want them to be here. Is it a certain race or ethnicity? Maybe we've moved past that, but maybe that still lingers on. Sunday morning still remains one of the most segregated times in our country. Because there are churches like ours that tend to be of one complexion and there are churches like others that tend to be of another complexion where maybe we still have some more to move in that area. Is it a certain person of a certain background, of a certain ideology, a certain that you need, person that you need to agree with you? In the wake of 9-11, the anniversary that we just had, America seemed to be looking to engage in another international conflict we are not short on people to demonize or ideologies to separate from. Again, the, the question is not, should we take stands? Yes, we should take stands. Yes, there are things that are wrong and there are lines that need to be drawn. Paul does that all the time. But those lines need to be set based on Christ and not based on our preference. Okay? Um, you may prefer a certain style of music, a certain style of worship, a certain kind of person to be around. But when our preferences become prejudices, that's where the problem really gets bad. That's where we're not representing Christ. Like Dr. King, who had said, I have a dream of, some, of a world being different. Where do you think Dr. King got a lot of his imagery? Where do you think a lot of this came from for him? It came from the ideology of Scripture. Dr. King was a pastor who understood that in Christ we are all reconciled, which means that better start to show up in our personal relationships too. So today my challenge for you is this. First, I would ask that you evaluate yourself. Is Christ truly the cornerstone of your life? Is everything else based around Christ or is there something there that, that may be doing it differently for you. One way to know that is maybe to know what you demonize. What are you against? What do you hate? Maybe those things might be a clue that there's something other than Christ that's at your center. Second, 
Are there dividing walls of hostility in your life and in your world that need to be torn down? In families, at work, in other groups, are there people that you despise? People whom you need to be reconciled with? Maybe there's an area that God is calling you to do that. It's my prayer that we as a church would be ever more built into the dwelling place of God's Spirit and that we, as Paul says in other places, might become agents of reconciliation. People that work for reconciliation in the world around us. Let us pray. Lord, help us to remember your action to reconcile us to you, that we may be thankful that we may build our lives on Jesus and that we may follow the leading of your Holy Spirit to bring reconciliation to the world around us. Help us to draw lines where you would have us to draw lines, but help them not to be based on personal preference. Let us be willing to minister and to welcome those who you put on our path. Guide us personally and as a church into your purpose and into your calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.